You're listening to Neurodiversity at Work. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Amazing to have you on. Uh, it was a real pleasure to share the screen with you the other day um, when we did a session on dyslexia. And I just loved what you had to say uh, in the conversations running up to that uh, and on that session as well. So, Gary, pleased to have you on. Who are you? Introduce yourself. Let listeners know what you do. Okay, thanks for the wonderful introduction, Theo. I love it. It's making me feel energized and really relaxed here. Um, my name's Gary Barron. I am a counsellor psychotherapist. I work with young children, adolescents, adults, and also people with what I call severe trauma or mental health issues, anxiety, and the list goes on and on. Um, started up a company called Youth Community Development Consultancy. And the idea with the, the company is actually to work with people within the community again, from young children to old people who suffer from trauma, mental health issues. And I suppose what's really in the news at the moment is uh, people with neurodiversity challenges, which there's not so much media, but there's lots of information about that. And I'm really passionate about that. And what I also sort of work with is what we call transpersonal psychology, positive psychology. So it's really looking at the challenges that people face as a sense of their personality, but taking a step back and looking at who they are, this term we call soul. So everyone knows about the soul. Um, there's, it's in religious books, it's, it's in theological books, it's in the positive movement in sort of self-care, self-worth, meditation, yoga. So there's lots of people doing things about connecting to their soul. And in my experience working with children and families, or especially in schools, the understanding of soul is not there. And for me, when I look at that, it's really about looking at someone's potential. So when we look at people with uh, neurodiverse issues or challenges, we tend to focus on the personality, what's in front of us, but not looking what's hanging behind. And so the work there is really to allow people to connect to what's behind them that they don't pay enough attention to. So that's sort of where I'm there. I'm also a qualified Reiki master, um, an advanced practitioner in something called emotional freedom technique, which is called tapping. And what happens there, you sort of tap on the neuro, um, I forgot the name that it's gone, completely gone. It's, <laughs> it's like acupuncture. So you, you t uh, tap on the sort of nervous points there, the systems, and I've got the name of them, but there you go. And what happens yeah. is it increases the sort of cellular trauma that's in the body, it tends to move it. So in the lots of therapies, we talk about things um, or we do um, art therapy, which is very good. There could be poetry, singing. But what we tend to find is that the trauma needs to be moved from the body. So you need you can understand it cognitively, but we actually need to move it from there. And that's what EFT does as well. So, yeah, that's me. 
That's amazing. And I mean, that's <laughs> this is why I wanted to get you on, because um, when you talk about trauma and the experiences in early life, and I'm, I'm going to let you uh, talk about this, but but that kind of really resonated with me and made me think, all oh, right, so some things that happened to me, like maybe when I was five or six, they, 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 sometimes when I get anxious or I get stressed or when I find a particular situation really, really difficult, like we, we could be going back to that very moment in school where X happened because, you know, um, I'm uh, uh, because I have numeracy challenges or whatever it may be, you know, that it's that almost come into play and that anxiety level is going through the roof. And I thought, wouldn't it, isn't it, wouldn't it be great if more people within organisations could understand this about their fellow human beings, that in the moment, what they may, the way they may be responding may seem um, abnormal, but when you put in the context of their life, their experiences, where they've come from, what they've done, it's not. It's just the, the response is bigger than that moment. And I think often we don't appreciate that, right? No, I absolutely uh, agree with you. And I think since COVID, there's generally been, and just before COVID, a sort of push to sort of work with people or employers work with their employees because there's a high turnover. I think it's several billion pounds a year lost to people being sick. So again, what you've highlighted, sometimes the depression, you know, anxiety, mental health, whatever that is, it can normally be traced back to early childhood. So what normally happens when we've been traumatized as a child, and we've all been there, some people worse than others, more traumas, we either suppress it or repress it. Now, some people may be able to focus, which is really good, we look at resilience, to focus on something, and do well, so focus on their studies or, uh, yeah, and do well in their studies or focus on sports. But what we tend to find out is later in, in life, because those traumas have been suppressed or repressed, they start to emerge. So we look at from the womb, because a child could be traumatized from the womb as well. So it's not just once they've been born. So the sort of indicators from naught to seven, roughly, whatever emerges or trauma that person goes through, will have a long lasting impact later on in life. So it might not come out for the first few years, but then you can see young people challenging behavior or children that have been very shy or withdrawn, there's something going on. Now, if a child has repeatedly experiences trauma, that builds up, but we can see those with challenging behavior, the screaming, the shouting, and that also interplays or could interplay with neurodiversity, things like autism, or ADHD, dyslexia. So what could happen is there's a combination of things going on which you can't explore because there's a, a trauma going on and also the, the, the challenge of neurodiversity. So the list goes on. But going back to the organisation, when we work, we, we're programmed to work in a system and we have to reach a certain level. So that child when we can look at the sort of teenage aspects, is really focused, really stressed to get their exams, to get a job. So again, that stress stays in the body and we forget about it or we, we manage it. Then all of a sudden, when we go into a work scenario, we may be happy, but all of a sudden there's something underneath. There's these little fires sparking up. Um, it could be, for example, um, you drink too much. It could be some people go to drugs. It could be just someone's quite depressed. They don't know how to communicate what they're feeling because they've never explored it before. So there's so many things going on that 
I suppose organisations need to sort of take a step back and give sort of time and space, which they are doing now, to look to get the best out of their employees. So one, obviously, it costs them money, but it saves them money as well. If you're looking after your employee, then you're going to get the best out of them. So in the long term, making more money. So that's, yeah, and I like that. I like that idea that obviously focusing on the individual to get the best out of them is going to have, uh, you know, uh, great effects for everybody. You know, it's going to uh, ensure that you uh, get the best results from that individual. But just to take a step back a bit from the, the workplace and the workforce, um, because you're mentioning childhood there, um, adolescence, not to seven. If we're thinking of all the parents who will be listening to this, who are employees, they may be HR directors, they may be CEOs of organisations, right? But they, like everybody else, have children who uh, may face challenges uh, within the school environment. What, you know, what is the level of importance of early intervention then? Because you and I can look back at our lives and think uh, how sometimes those early years have really made certain things very difficult for us. What can parents be thinking about and doing? And what is the like? What is the overall cost of not getting early intervention? Like, if you're not if you're not helping children um, at that naught to seven, does it make it a really difficult path back? Um, what types of things should maybe parents be considering? Do you think you raise a really interesting and important question, Theo? And my answer to that would be: I have this wonderful job for a charity in Southwest London, and there were, and I was working with families then, and what I realised cross cultural, cross class, there were a high number or, or perceivingly high number of children with neurodiverse challenges, and parents not able to support their children. Now, I will name the charity, the organisation, because they were a council, because it was fantastic. So it was achievement for children. And what they did is they organized sort of um, parenting uh, workshops specifically to support uh, parents with challenging young children. And in most cases, these children um, had either sort of ADHD, um, ASD, and other sort of challenges there. So it was about teaching them how to respond to the child's behavior. Because you had parents been working and again they were directors some teachers head teachers and when they got home it's just a huge intense pressure because this individual child has been very challenging and you, you can lose it you can get angry so it's important to seek help from professional organizations that can begin to work with the child but also work with the parents because we we all get triggered and how we've been parenting um, when we were younger, unless we've done some self-development, we do the same thing. Now, some cultures could be more disciplined. Um, some parents could allow the child to do whatever they, they believe they need to do because it'd be okay, but it's no. So the challenges would be to get support, see a therapist, work with the school to say you're having sort of challenges. However, in most cases, the children who have or act out at home when they go to school they seem to behave well so you have the parents you go into school and say my child's doing x y and z and the teachers say your child's wonderfully well they're fantastic and you're looking thinking am i going crazy so this is the message i got from many many parents but what happens the child wants to be seen as good 
So they're holding all the feelings, the anxieties, the ones that can, and they hold it, hold it, hold it. Then soon as that child leaves the classroom, you can begin to see that challenging behavior. And then when they get home, it's like they unleash the full pent up feelings of anger and anxiety. And the parents are like, oh my God, what can I do? Um, also, we're looking at sleeping issues. There's a sense of anxiety, fear, they're not able to sleep. Um, there's children, you know, have intrusive thoughts, children that just blurt out with things. So there's so much going on for that young child. How can they cope? How can the parents cope? Because they're not used to seeing that or experiencing that um, um, type of behavior. But also, it's not out there. So these parents are going through and think it's my child, I'm a bad parent. But in fact, there's not enough information to support parents about the increase of people with neurodiverse challenges. But what I'm also seeing is older people with neurodiverse um, um, challenges or being diagnosed late like myself, um, realizing that I've gone through all these challenges and I wish someone had said, look, I think you may uh, need to see someone because this is what I'm observing in you. So I think what it does, again, affects self-esteem, affects, affects confidence. Um, am I stupid? Why can't I do X, Y, and Z? So that's an adult saying this, so I need support. Can you imagine what a child's going through? So I think, again, it can relate to having money. If you have a, a good source of income, you can get the support. Um, because you have the money, if you haven't, then that's going to be a real challenge. But again, I think it's about talking to people, um, finding out more information. And there are sort of parenting groups out there, which I can't name for now, where people are beginning to sort of talk together and realizing it's not just me, I'm not a bad parent, it's not just my child. So again, it's about um, Googling information, there's the ADHD um, and autism societies. So it's slowly emerging, but again, we need to talk to each other. We need to make it an everyday uh, occurrence where we reach out, we ask for support. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, the thing that just really hit me quite hard then is just in the last couple of weeks, um, one of my children, uh, who's eight, is, uh, I've, I've spent one to two hours every single night to get them to sleep. Um, and for the first time in eight years, they, um, they've, it's it's still an hour, but they're they're able for the first time to um, switch off themselves, which is I can't tell you what kind of an emotional incredible experience that is. One because it, it can be hard work before, but two because the moment it's happened, you start to see the benefits of what was a lot of hard work, but maybe that you've been able to help the transition in, in a way that has helped their equilibrium. Right, is is not forced them to. I don't know, just try to go on sleep on their own three years ago and they just lie there on their own for hours. I don't know. And we all have to make different decisions. But that that hit me personally because as a parent, I, I'm feeling that and understanding that just in that micro element of our lives, right? And if we put that in the context of, okay, we may have somebody who's dealing with a child um, who's going through all those emotional challenges as being neurodiverse, but then the adult themselves may have only just realised they're neurodiverse in a workplace that may or may not be helpful to them, right? 
So do they need to go and get the same type of help but for adults as that you would be exploring with the children or do they look for a different route for support? I'll start with the first. It's a huge question, and, and and it's an important question. Again, when we look at sleep with children, we look at anxiety. There's a fear there of something. And again, you know, we can go back to trauma, birth, you know, trauma at birth, the birthing process. And when I ask parents about children, uh, their, their child or their child's there, I always ask about the parent's history because you need to understand what's going to be played through or possibly reenacted. Now, we look at a mother being anxious, there's anxiety there, and there's anxiety around the birth or something's happened. The child is also picking on to that anxiety. So what we call pre-verbal trauma, there's something happening for the child which you're not able to articulate. So, for example, anxiety, there's seven to nine types of cries. I think there's, there's nine. So if I'm hungry, if I'm in pain, if I need attention, if my stomach's not, not well, I sense that I'm scared. So I need my nappy changing. So they're all cries that a baby sends out and the mother or father intuitively picks up on those. Now, if we look at anxiety and it's not picked up on, then what happens is we sort of, the baby's building onto something of their needs not being met. So they sort of lose a sense of trust what's going on into the world. That could affect the sleeping. However, if we look at ADHD or ASD, we know there's a sense of intrusive thoughts, hypersensitivity around that child or the child picking up on different energies, as in sensitivity around the house. So that's something you have to work with. But what I've sort of heard from you, which is wonderful, is you mirror how to be with the child. So in most cases, um, if we look at children that seem quite intelligent, parents see that child as maybe someone very intelligent, but they forget emotionally where that child is. And that can sort of bring up lots of frustration. You're saying X, Y, and Z, you're speaking like an adult, but now you're behaving very young. They forget that. So what happens is with the fear that they have, what you've been doing is mirroring. So I was working with um, a 16-year-old, 15 to 16 um, last year, who was later diagnosed with ASD and more than likely having ADHD. And I did eight sessions of, um, no, I did 10 sessions of CBT, but I use guided visualization in there as well, lots of movement. What the mother and father did, which appears you, you're doing the same thing with your daughter, was they were asking the child, you know, um, you know, what do you need? Or looking at coping strategies that the child can naturally uh, use. So this child didn't get diagnosed, he was 16, with ASD, because the parents were using wonderful interventions, being with them, seeing if they're okay. Then all of a sudden, the child began to use these coping strategies. So it came to a point at 16, they realized something wasn't quite right. So again, when we look at children, they learn from us. So the mirroring and parents being able to respond, are you feeling scared? You know, what's going on in your mind? All these, all these things that parents says allows the child the space to see what's going on. Is it my feelings? Am I scared? So what you're doing is allowing your, 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 you said your daughter, yeah? Was it your daughter? Yeah. Allowing yes. her all of a sudden to become at ease because you're respecting where she is in that moment. So she's also beginning to build up resilience, how to sort of nurture herself or allow herself to go to sleep. But it takes practice, it's repetition. 
repetition, 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 and all of a sudden your child will be doing what what you do or what you say, as, as you know. So I think that's really, really important. Going back to the, 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 the workplace again, after the age of seven, eight, what tends to happen, lots of things become repressed or suppressed. So the child begins to identify with the world because this is how the world works. So these old traumas of sort of, in, in theory, they go away, but they're still there and you become part of the world. Or again, your dreams or aspirations are, could be faded away, lost. So you become part of the world and you do as the world says. So the child, going back to what I mentioned earlier in school, will try to become part of the system and I have to behave myself. So I can't show who I am, my emotions or feelings in most cases. So therefore, this way of being connected, I have to behave like X, Y, and Z, becomes imprinted on the child. When we look at the sort of puberty stage, what normally happens unconsciously is all the suppressed and repressed emotions starts emerging. So all of a sudden, you get the child maybe acting out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to listen. You say, do, you say black, they say it's white. Yeah? You say it's red, it's yellow. It's a normal function of the brain. But again, parents don't realize that. Or all of a sudden you see the child that wants to be an adult, then all of, all of a sudden they go back, they want to hug, they want to be next to mummy or daddy. Because the brain is growing. The brain that we have, which says a neuroplasticity, going back about repetition, we keep learning. So what happens is all this old memories start moving forward within the brain. Things that haven't been sort of processed by the child. So it's actually a wonderful time to work through those early traumas or experiences and change the narrative. Because if we keep those old memories there, they, they, they form this huge way of being, which can't be changed. Whereas if you're the parent that's open to your child, not talk about being perfect, but allowing them the space to be within, this, within a certain framework, then what happens, they begin to build up new um, neural pathways in the brain. And so those old behaviors could begin to sort of die and the new behaviors becoming built. So again, when we look at neurodiversity or in, the, in, or in the workplace, we're looking at letting go of something old and creating a new way of being. So it's more sort of having a growth mindset. So now, I'm going really fast there, aren't I? <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Carry on. So we're looking at many things at that period where a child could be healed and sort of giving them a new platform to do something different, which I think is really, really important could be challenging for them because they don't know what's going on from the past. But as long as you were just with them and giving them the space and trust them, in most cases, I think they will tend to be okay. It's only when there's old uh, memories or traumas or maybe not being able to identify why they're different will add to that trauma or their challenging behavior. When we go to the back to the sort of workplace, again, if this place hasn't been worked through, we can look at counselling, um, we can look at the support networks, where you tend to find all of a sudden they're in a situation or a dynamic, and what could happen is certain sequences could be replayed from their past. So again, it's bringing up a sort of different um, relational dynamics in the workplace where that person could be triggered by someone, not intentionally, but it's got a history to it. So again, you sort of there's this sort of trauma that's been reenacted. Um, also, the the aspect of them not being able to ask for support as well. So it's like it becomes a, a minefield because can I 
say something to someone? No, I can't because when I was younger, there was no one to support me. So, you know, I can't really reach out and ask for help. And maybe there's an expectancy from the employee uh, that says the employer should see me. Uh, you know, you should ask me, am I okay? So I think what happens is there's so many different things that get entwined from someone's past to also the sort of expectation that the employee should be able to do something. And when that needs not met, there's a sense of reaction or number B, the employee in theory should sort of look at the employers on a holistic perspective and say, right, this person has this skills. How can I develop those skills? And at the same time, there's those growth points. How can I support them to work through that? Because on one level, and this is my thinking, if a boss does that, that individual who may have neurodiverse issues or other trauma-related issues will begin to work on what they haven't uh, worked with previously and begin to sort of um, explore what they need to work with, but also stay longer in the job or put more energy into what they're doing as well because they've been seen. So I think there's different components that come in, which as a boss you wouldn't know about, but also as that individual who's suffered doesn't actually understand themselves unless they are identified with, with, with what they've gone through, but also the fear of seeking help is too much for them. Yeah, and that could come out in aggression as well as, um, you know, going back into their own skin and not wanting to say anything, couldn't it? So you might get a very young person who has had to, felt like they need to be aggressive in these situations, you know, fight or flight, um, and therefore that kind of comes out at any point where they feel at risk. And that risk could be risk neurologically that they're going to be found out that they can't spell or it might be culturally or it might be there might be a wide variety of reasons why they might respond in this kind of aggressive or passive way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, an example um, I, I, I would give when I was 24, 25, I got this wonderful job as a head chef for this hotel and sort of small chain of restaurants they wanted to build. And I got into this job. And all of a sudden, the um, executive chef said, right, you need to um, basically uh, do these little tostadas. We need to have a, a, a food tasting. And I froze. And he came and he goes, what have you been doing? And then all of a sudden, he gave me a template and I was able to do it. Now, the reason why I mentioned the, temp the template to your parenting skills that you're on, if a child has a template and you keep doing it, you're building up a system for them to work with. Um, and, you know, people with ADHD, ASD need a sort of routine or a template that they feel safe and secure in and a routine that they can work with. So that's important. I never had that before. So he gave me a template, then I was able to get going and I did a good job. Now, the point being, when I had this wonderful job last, last, last year for the organisation I mentioned, you know, I was taking lots of memory tablets, cognitive tablets to keep me functioning. Um, so I, so I can work, but it came to a point where I had this crisis, um, just before COVID where all of a sudden I went blank. Now I know when I write poetry or stories, it flows, flows. And all of a sudden I hit a brick wall. So I was working seven days a week trying to get these reports done. And I just went, I could not get anything on the computer. 
So I had my handwritten notes, but I just couldn't do it. Now, you mentioned earlier on fight and flight and freeze. I suppose there was a pattern in my life where that happened, but I was unaware of it. So cognitively, going back to what I started with, oh, yeah, I understand this now. Now I can get through it. But however, that trauma in me was still there, which I was blinded to. Because what I've done is push to get where I'm going, where I've been right now. So, okay, this is what it is. I want to get there. I want to get there. I'm going to fight. I want to get there. Then all of a sudden, it's like a, an elastic band or a bungee jump. You know, you jump, and all of a sudden you go back up, ping. That, that's what it was like for me. But in the sense of, you know, I, I froze. Now, all the support was coming in. Oh, no, what do you need? Can you do this? Yes, I can do it. No problems. Because the intention is to do it. You're 100% there to do it. However, you go to do it. And again, you might, in that, my experience, my mind went blank. So the intention's to do it, but the anxiety or the trauma holds you back. So I'm thinking at the time, right, it's my dyslexia, but I seem to have pushed through my life to get support. It was something else. Now, then I thought, have I got ADHD? Because I was sending clients to get assessed for ASD and ADHD. Um, maybe there is something then I got diagnosed. But then I thought, okay, so the issue is ADHD and my dyslexia, fine, no problems. Let's try and work through it. But again, something's holding me back. Now, more than likely because of my, my past, none of you heard of childhood adverse experiences. So we all go through them. Everyone has at least one or two. And in most cases, when we look at um, challenging young people or adults, they mostly have two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you're looking at drug addiction, challenging behavior, more than likely gangs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I had a high level of that. So it was a combination of trauma, which even though I worked with cognitively, but something innately, going back to you feeling anxious when you were a child, doing maths, something that I didn't necessarily process at the time. So all of a sudden you've got a combination of different traumas, the dyslexia, why can't I be the same as other people? What is it with me? Am I stupid? Or parents saying you're stupid at the time. And also I'm not able to focus or I get too much information in that I can't hold it or I have to, it comes out. And it's, you know, I can't write down the information quick enough. So imagine that going back to your question about someone in the office trying to fit in a box because they know that something's going on, but they can't quite understand it from a sort of emotional traumatic experience and also understand it mentally, but there's a confusion, it's chaos. And so the reason why I, I mentioned from my experience that if a child has to go through those stages up to being an adult, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, um, it can be quite heavy, but then we can see the challenges that people have um, and maybe why so many people go off work sick because there's so much going on for them. And maybe, as I mentioned earlier, we talk about pre-verbal trauma. Now, I'm work, I've been working with this client for two years now who was diagnosed in 2017 with ASD and ADHD. So the person went through the whole life studying, working, and having challenges with the parents. Now, the parents did the best that they could for the child because no one knew about ASD or ADHD at the time. 
then all of a sudden it's this crescendo moment where you see of the work that I've actually done with this individual is to integrate the the um, positive qualities of the ADHD and ASD. So again, it's about the integration of the, the working through the trauma, working through the attachment with the parents. And again, you know, using the qualities of the, if I look at the, this person's ASD, being able to focus, pinpoint things, injustice, um, in working what they need to do. And then the information of the ADHD, I'm getting all this wonderful information coming in. How do I use it? So, so it's like funneling it. And the, the, what I described to the person, imagine your ADHD as the flag. It's going around, it's moving, it's windy. Then all of a sudden you need to come into that aspect of your ADHD, which can funnel the information and focus on one thing. So that's the way I've been working, looking at the ASD and ADHD as semi-autonomous parts of the individual. So for example, you'll have the father, you're the CEO, you're the husband, you're the son, um, you're, the, you're, you're the radio presenter. So we all got different parts of ourselves. So the idea is we need to be able to understand how they work because there's the extremities of each part of them. There's the rebel, there's a, the maverick, there's the anger, there's the rage. So understanding all those parts of us in a balanced way and then working with the, the, the gift of the dyslexia, dyscalculia, the autism, the ADHD, X, Y, and Z, then we can work with it. But you, we need to be able to pull out the trauma from those parts from the past, then work, focus on those aspects of the neurodiverse challenges that the individual works so they can use it in a positive way. That's brilliant, Gary. Um, and, uh, and I love that. And I think that really brings it nicely, kind of that rounds it off nicely uh and i think that example is a good one um and i loved it like i say i, I the, the trauma thing has got me thinking a lot more about me and my family um and people that i talk to um because i think i've probably not given that element enough attention you know it's kind of oh stuff happened and here i am <laughs> how do i deal with it but actually being able to think a little around why your exact point there why sometimes I mentally freeze and cannot get over the line. And other times why I may get so much anxiety that I'd kick off, you know, I'm not doing that or whatever, you know, throw my dummy out the pram. You know, it's it's being able to go, okay, well, now I can follow those steps back to, okay, that these reasons why, why that's happening. And maybe there is a point of where I can manage that. And I think for employees, that is an incredible bit of advice for people sat in organisations, offices now who suffer from stress and anxiety directly linked with a variety of things, but neurodiversity in this context, um, that's really tangible for them and something that they can give consideration. And also for managers, when you're working with somebody, just to appreciate that, just to appreciate the fact that this journey, like journey, we've all gone on journeys, right? We've all got things, we've all got some levels of trauma, but for that moment that you look at that person and think, why are they being so angry? Well, exactly, exactly, why? are they being so angry and what can I do to maybe um you know help basically I think is what we should all be thinking about especially given we spent so much time in our part we all want to come together right Gary well I, I think it's so important I think many years ago you know as I said to you I'm sort of looking to get funding to open up this therapeutic center and 
really sort of to work with what I call the transpersonal positive psychology and, and for businesses. If you can go into a business and you look at the difficulties they have, there are ways of working with that. And, you know, my experience of working with other young people, and I'll give an example. I was working in a school in Southwest London with this resilience program I got, Super Finding the Gifts. If you've given them an experience and you focus on their gifts, all of a sudden, I had children who were in their class, they act out. And they were doing, you know, closing their eyes for 20 minutes. Not even a word. So holding that space for them, and, you know, they were there every week because they felt something within themselves, okay, which is so important. It goes back to where I mentioned the soul, but in, in Winnicott's very, we would call the sort of um, authentic self, true self, hidden behind the traumas, yeah, or the survival self. Now, if you look at organizations, if they allow a space where you work with a group of people, and in my experience, what happens in that journey, it could be an hour, hour and a half a week or, you know, for a period of time. As you said, they begin to see each other. They identify, hold on a minute, you may be the boss. However, there's a common ground, a trauma. Then what happens is that it alleviates or alleviates the sort of defense, the judgment. Then the healing works for that individual, but also the work scenario. Because in employees or employers the employees look at the employers as unconsciously the parent, parental figures. So you have a chain of events happening. Yeah. So there are things you can do in organizations to support that. Again, focusing on maybe what wasn't focused in that child's life because the parents didn't know. So it brings a natural healing. You know, so I think, again, you know, what you're saying is really important. That, but also, children teach us what we need to work on on ourselves. And I think it's really, really important. Our frustration in our child is our frustration within ourselves sometimes. And my youngest daughter, she's fantastic because without her, she has anxiety issues. And I can look back to our birthing and stuff that went on early on. And she's spot on, but hypersensitive noise, you know, stuff with noise. She has things in a routine, slight things in a certain way. But what I found from her is she was able to give me this skill set to be there for parents and other children through those challenges. So I see her as a blessing. She could be a firework in the house, she wants her own attention and everything's got to be her way. And, you know, sometimes you mentioned, I've thrown my I've got angry. But what I've noticed through her, when I've got angry, she would be, oh, why didn't your dad sit down? And I think you just need to take some time out. And what's, <laughs> it's funny, but what I've realised is what I say to her, or vice versa in a family, she's beginning to sort of digest and use it in the same way. So it goes back on to mirroring. Yeah, absolutely. And she'll hold me up. She could be angry with me. Absolutely. So we have this wonderful relationship, but she's given my gift of understanding. You know, I, I would say she, she has uh, traits definitely of ASD or, or ADHD. My wife would say no, and she'd kill me if she hears this, but absolutely she has on some level. My other daughter, and, you know, I've got her to see a therapist as well. So, you know, I, I'm a therapist, as you know. Yeah, my daughter needs help. A absolutely. My eldest daughter is a great poetry writer, reader, severe dyslexia. we got to help straight away because, obviously, I've realised. 
and we focused on her gift. Yeah, you're great at writing stories. It doesn't matter about the spelling. Um, you're great at poetry. But giving that child love and understanding is the most important thing we could do as parents. I'm not perfect at all. And, you know, I get things wrong. I'm evolving. And I think even if we look at that from a parental or as an employer perspective, we're not perfect. And I think if we can relate in that way, whatever the trauma or the issue is, we give space for that individual to, to heal, to work through whatever they're going through. But again, the best product is if they're happy and working well, the workplace is a good environment. And I know they're about profit, but you've got to get something that's special. Maybe they have a, a gift that hasn't been explored that can support the, the workforce, the workplace. So again, I think it's this cycle that what we put in, we get out. What we don't know, we ask. And again, it's about human relationship, how we connect. So I think it's really important that we explore each other, who we are, cross gender, religion, culture, creed. We need to see, be there for each other, listen. And, and you know, we can't do something. Look, there's this person there. There's this organisation. Be open to it. Gary, thank you so much. Um, if people want to reach out to you and connect with you, how can they uh, find you? Um, well, I have two, two, two websites. So the, the one that I use with organisations is um, info at yc-dc.co.uk or Gary Barron at yc-dc.co.uk. And you can look at me on the website, which is www.yc-dc.co.uk or www.gbcounseling.co.uk. Perfect. And LinkedIn, they can find you there too? They can. I'm, I'm, I'm really terrible at that. I need to um, change my LinkedIn page. Maybe your 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 habit. But yeah, I need to update and put. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just look for Gary Barron, I think. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I'll put some links in, uh, in, in the podcast uh, content as well. So people will be able to find it there. Gary, absolute pleasure having you on. You've been awesome, which I expected. Um, really, thank you so much. That was very insightful and enjoyable. Yeah. Now, thank you for having me on. Look, the work that you're doing, I think, is phenomenal. It's needed. You have a great personality, you know, um, presence about you. Know, you know, the first time we, we met, absolutely. And yeah, whatever, you know, I can do to support your organisation as well, I, you know, I, I, I'll be there. Maybe, yeah, maybe we could do some workshops together. That'd be fun. You've been listening to Neurodiversity at Work, available on all good podcast hosts. Please do sign up now, like, share and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.